Happy Friday, everybody, and welcome back to Get Your Goat. Josh here with you. We got a lot to talk about today. Doesn't look like Aaron Rodgers is going to opt out. What else is new with him? The Phoenix Suns have won the West and are moving on to the NBA Finals. The Bucks, the Hawks, Lightning, and Canadians in NHL trade. Some moves. Big decision for the NCAA. And then I'm going to give you my top five teams in Major League Baseball. So let's get right into it. Starting with Aaron Rodgers. It's looked like he will not opt out, which he would have been able to do because of the COVID situation. And they allowed it like they did last year, one more year. Uh, to where he'd opt out and still get a significant uh, value uh, for him, significant amount of money, he would still be able to get. So, is he going to get traded? Is he going to retire? What is he going to do? Well... Sources have said on ESPN that he has no trade market because Green Bay has indicated that they're not trading him. So a lot of teams are really not reaching out to the Green Bay Packers, not initiating trade talks because they really think that they're going to hold Pat. So Rodgers is not going to opt out. So that means it's really going to leave him with a couple of decisions. It's either he's going to suck it up and play this year. He's going to retire, or he'll just sit out this one season. He's already got his roster bonus back in March, so he has made some money. But I don't think money is of a concern to him since he's made plenty of money throughout his career. But I'm going to go two ways with this. The first way is the reports of him not having a trade market and teams not really engaging anymore. Uh... We don't really know what teams have offered for Aaron Rodgers in the past, maybe when the news broke during the draft, how long ago that was. But if I was a team that needed a quarterback and thought I was a quarterback away from greatness, whether it be the Broncos or the Raiders, any team, I would, for for Aaron Rodgers, I would trade the farm. I would trade... My next three draft picks for Aaron Rodgers, because I know I ain't drafting an Aaron Rodgers with my pick the next three years. League MVPs do not grow on trees. He's 37. He's going to turn 38 in December. So that's three more years. You're looking at till he's 41. If you trade him, that is his contract. He has an opt-out for next year. And then two additional years after that, depending on if he opts in. Doesn't look like he'll opt into that contract. But the team that he gets traded to, you have to be confident you'll sign him to another deal or work out an extension and get this done. If you want to win, you would trade for Aaron Rodgers. If you are the Broncos, I would trade my next three first-round draft picks. If I was the Raiders, if I was any team that wanted a chance to win, I would be trading. I would be on the call making this trade. Which leads me to, if teams aren't interested in Green Bay, it's indicated that they're not trading him, 
how confident is Green Bay that they'll be able to keep him with Aaron Rodgers wearing shirts saying that he's offended and he has problems with the philosophy of the higher tier of the organization. And this is an organization that has not changed in a while. And they're confident they're going to keep Aaron Rodgers. So is Aaron Rodgers going to play? I do think he'll end up playing. And he'll end up playing well, then he can opt out of his contract next year and do what he wants. Or we can wait to trade him, but Aaron Rodgers' trade value would be at his highest right now. Because he's the league, league, league reigning MVP. A man who does not turn the football over at all. Jameis Winston has more interceptions than Aaron Rodgers. And Aaron Rodgers has been in the NFL for 15 years. And Jameis was playing in the NFL for 5 years. That tells you something about him and Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers takes care of a football. He makes the right plays. He looks for the penalties when people are drawing outside. He's just a smart football player. And I think he does want to win another one. When you win one 10 years ago, I think you kind of lose that feeling of winning, especially when a lot of guys are now winning since then. And so I do think that he wants to win and add to his legacy. I don't think it's going to happen in Green Bay. And if I'm Green Bay, I'd look to trade him now. Because let's say Aaron Rodgers, sometimes he deals with an injury, whether it be an ankle or a knee or his collarbone. If he gets injured again this season, then you lose all trade value for Aaron Rodgers. And what you could have got this year, you find out you won't be getting mid-season or in the season. So they're playing a really risky game, betting it all on Aaron Rodgers' comeback. Yes, they got Jordan Love. They picked up some backups as well. The backups for their backups. But they have to be really confident and know something we don't know. And this tug of war is still, there's no end in sight, I think. But it's interesting because with Aaron Rodgers, Packers are a top five team in the NFL. Will be, I think, the biggest challenger to the Bucks. I know the Rams have improved, but the, the Packers have the experience. But if they lose Aaron Rodgers, they turn into a bottom 15 team without him and the way their current roster is set up. So it's needed, but we'll see if Aaron Rodgers goes anywhere or not. Now moving on to the NBA. The Phoenix Suns beat the Clippers in six to advance to their first NBA Finals since Charles Barkley in 93. It's been a while, but the Suns have got it led by Chris Paul. Now I picked the Suns to win in seven. They won in six. I wanted this to be a seven-game series because this was a brilliant series. But the Clippers could not hang on and beat them. But it was a hard-fought series. That last game, Chris Paul went off. 
Chris Paul, tears in his eyes, finally has made it to an NBA Finals where he has blown leads in his playoff career, blown 3-1 leads as a Clipper, tore his hamstring as a Rocket where he's been on the cusp of the NBA Finals many a times when he's been on great teams and he's just not been able to make it. Either he himself has come up short and has played cold or his body has failed him, but after 16 years, he is in a championship on the edge of a top five point guard, has all the stats, dubbed the point god, assist master, can score as well, lethal mid-range shot, floor general where he rarely turns the ball over. I'd bet on him to have more 10 assists, zero turnover nights than anyone else. He's just that brilliant, but he's come up short plenty of times in playoffs. But he had a spectacular Game 6 performance where he led his team with 41 points. 7 of 8 from 3-point land. 16 of 24. Very efficient on the night. And Devin Booker started off his series in Game 1 with his first career triple-double. Played an amazing game. Was really good. Then had his injury and he hasn't really looked the same since then. They've gotten big games from DeAndre Ayton. But this one was capped off by Chris Paul. Playing efficiently, 41 points and 8 assists. He was just brilliant that game. A mastermind of this team. Of this team not even making the playoffs last year. In the bubble. Missed out on the play-in. Added a piece in Chris Paul. Added veteran presence in Jay Crowder. But Chris Paul was the missing link. And in one season, they have made it from missing the playoffs to making the NBA Finals. So I've got to give them that. A tremendous accomplishment for this team. Game 6, they were much better than the Clippers. Shot 56% of the field to the Clippers 41. 55% from the 3 to the Clippers 30. Out-rebounded them. Both offensively and defensively, DeAndre Ayton was a key bigger than anybody else, so he had to dominate, and he did just that. They didn't turn the ball over. They did turn the ball over as many times as the Clippers. Got less points, but they just dominated the paint with DeAndre Ayton. Not only did Chris Paul cry, but the other starting point guard on the other team, Reggie Jackson, was also crying as well. Thanking the Clippers, because Reggie Jackson, you know, been on multiple teams, the Pistons, the Clippers, and he finally, I think, found his home. He had a great series for the Clippers much better than expected, much better than advertised, played great in this system with Ty Lue. made threes, made tough shots, was really just brilliant. He played really well 
the whole series. His final game wasn't that good, but you can argue nobody's was Paul George. His final game wasn't great either. He had a great series, previous series against the Utah Jazz. Did everything he could, but in the end, he was too tired to force a Game 7. Only made one three-pointer that whole game, 21 points. Wasn't a threat at all. Played lazy defense. And really, just couldn't will this team to a win anymore. And also that same night, Patrick Beverly, with a stupid play where he just shoved CP3 when the game was in hand and he made a foolish move. Patrick Beverly is the one to get into people's head. But Chris Paul, that game, got into Reggie Jackson's head. I bet Chris Paul was upset about or about Patrick Beverly mocking his flopping because we talk about the greats. LeBron's flopped at times. Draymond Green has flopped. Paul George has flopped. Everybody flops. But especially after watching Chris Paul in this playoffs, he might be the king of an all-time playoff flop, what he did against the Lakers, now here against the Clippers, and his flops, I think, actually get him injured because Chris Paul is really a flopper out there. He kind of looks like a soccer player where he flops and just rolls around on the court, slows up the game, but that's what he does. You know, he's an part-time athlete for the Suns, but he's also a part-time actor for State Farm. That's what he and Cliff Paul do. They act on State Farm commercials, and sometimes the inner Cliff Paul comes out on the court, and that's what he does. And he does a good job of it, but he sells it. The rest give it to him most of the time. So why stop now if I'm Chris Paul? If I'm Chris Paul, I'm saying, I'm going to keep on flopping and doing this because it works for me all the time, and maybe when it doesn't work is then when I'll stop. But Chris Paul got into his head that game, and Patrick Beverly shoved Chris Paul down, and that was the one time it wasn't a flop. Because I'm sure Pat Beverly was upset because of 41 points dropped on him. Beverly not having a great night offensively or defensively. And a lot of things culminated in that loss to the Clippers where you know you're out. And it's just a cheap shot like that where you don't end on a good note. But this was a terrific series. Booker with the first career triple-double where it was tied going into the fourth quarter. And Booker went on a mid-run in that quarter, in the fourth quarter, to win. Clippers could have had that one. Game two, the game where it took 30 minutes in real time to play the final 90 seconds in game time. DeAndre Eaton got away with one. That was close. Clippers dominated game three. An atrocious game four. A game five where the Clippers dominated. So in game six where the Suns blew out the Clippers. So really it was a tight Vought series all the way. It was close. A lot of games could have gone either way. This just tipped into the Suns' favor because they were more healthy. I do think that if the Clippers had Kawhi after watching this finals, I think 
the Clippers would be in the NBA Finals right now. If Paul George can get them two games, I think Kawhi can get them the other two games because he is a superior on both the offensive side of the ball and defensive side of the ball. So I would have to give that edge to Kawhi Leonard because uh, nobody really on the Suns could have guarded Kawhi Leonard. And having Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Pat Bev just shut down Booker and CP3 could have happened. But that's just a sport. That's just this playoffs. It's been with the injuries. But the Suns make it out of the West. So congratulations to them for doing it when they had their doubters. Especially me, even though I thought they'd win this series, which they did. So we'll see which hobble team they play next, either the Bucks or the Hawks. So what about the Bucks and the Hawks? Well, this series has now lacked star power with Trey Young being out. The past two games and Giannis being out the last game and a half with a hyperextended knee and then Trey Young uh, with his deep brown bruise in his ankle. So it was 2-2 last night. The Bucks took a 3-2 series lead, won the pivotal game five. They're without Giannis, but there was no Trey Young. I was very surprised it was this one-sided, whereas... The Bucks led by 20. Hawks never led at all. And it really was the Bucks dominating the rebounds and dominating points in the paint. They out-rebounded them by 7. And they had 30 more points in the paint. The Hawks had 36 and the Bucks had 66. They just fed it down there to Brooke Lopez. Brooke Lopez looked amazing. That game had all sort of good looks. Down in the paint and dominated Clint Capella and John Collins down there. Uh, Bobby Portis, the fill-in for Giannis, also added 22 points and was good. Got it from Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton. So his team stepped up spectacularly without Giannis. Well, I thought the Hawks were just fine offensively. It was just defensively. They were very poor. They couldn't stop anything. Didn't look like they wanted to stop anything uh, at all. A needless fouling. And just the Hawks just came out like they didn't want to win in Game 4. With no Trey Young, they came out like they wanted to win. And they did, cruising against Milwaukee. And I thought Atlanta would have come out with that same energy last night. But that was not the case. The roles were reversed and the Bucks. Came out very hot, like they wanted to win this game five, and they did win it. So I've got to give it to the Bucks winning without your two time MVP defensive player of the year is hard to do. But when you have a 30 to 10 lead early, you don't want to be like the Dallas Mavericks and give it up like they did against the Clippers. You want to keep your throat, you keep your foot on the throttle, and keep it going. Don't take your foot off their necks. Keep hammering them. And they did when you have four starters over 20 points in Lopez, Middleton, Holiday, and Portis. It is hard to lose. I said that Middleton had to step it up, and while 
Brooke Lopez led the team in points. I did think Chris Middleton stepped up into the role. Playing 45 minutes was brilliant with his 26 points. I still think he can be a better three-point shooter. He has nights where he is spectacularly from that end, but there's nights where he's not good. And yesterday was just a so-so night from three. I think I think if he were to be more consistent, more lethal, he would be a true number two to Giannis, and this team would be really, really more dangerous because they have a great uh, 3-and-D guy in the point of Drew Holiday. We saw what Brooks Lopez can do. P.J. Tucker, not as good offensively as he is, but he is an okay defender for how old he is now. But now there's a pivotal Game 6. It's going back to Atlanta. I don't think Giannis will be back because those uh, injuries take around... 10 days to heal from. He had no structural damage, so it is 10 to 14 days. So we wouldn't be able to see Giannis until, I think, July 8th or July 9th. So he won't be back either for Game 6 or Game 7. I think Trey Young could return sooner than Giannis, but again, they haven't put an official timetable on that yet. So it looks like, again, no Giannis, no Trey. Who will step up in Game 6? I said Bucks and 5. Or a Bucks sweep, one of the two. I think I said Bucks sweep. Yeah, I did. Uh, but I think... Who knows what will happen in Game 6. I'm just picking the Bucks to still win this series. No matter what. Could it be tomorrow night? Could it be Game 7? Yes. I think the Bucks are going to win. I hope it's tomorrow night. In Atlanta just to get it done with. Because of Game 7 you just don't know. Atlanta's a scrappy team. But I like the Bucks odds more. Especially after winning last night. They just have to win one more without Giannis. Whereas the Hawks now have to win two. And the Bucks still have a home court. With their Game 7 at home. If that's necessary. So it is looking great. Who knows what we'll have in the finals on the East, but we know we have the Suns in the West. They're going to be dangerous. They're healthy. And you're going to have the Hawks and the Bucks. Which team will get there? Which team will be more healthy? Will it be Giannis? Will he come back by that time? Will it be Trey Young in that time? I hope it's Giannis. I hope it's the Bucks. I think that will make for a great series. Now, moving on to the NHL. The Canadians and the Lightning. It's already Game 3 tonight. Two games have already passed, and Tampa Bay are two wins away from being back-to-back champions. They've won Game 1 and Game 2. Game 1 was just a throttle beatdown. The Lightning gave the Canadians. Canadians looked like they were no match. Game 2 Montreal was much better. And I thought should have won this game. But to me, they got the life sucked out of them. When Blake Coleman made that diving goal with a second left. And somehow got it to go in. And that's just crushing psychologically. Where you go into the halftime. Or when you go into the second intermission thinking. It's 1-1. Where I checked the score with 10 seconds left and there's a TV timeout. And I thought it was 
1-1 going in the second intermission. I check it again, and it's not. It's 2-1. That's just absolutely devastating. But Andre Vasilevsky was brilliant with 42 saves. But the offense has to find a way for the Canadians. They're down 2-0. I don't believe the Lightning have ever lost a series when they're up 2-0. So the Canadians have to win this game. They do. And Carey Price has to have a brilliant night. Offense has to be flawless, and so does their defense. All of them have to step up. I'm picking Montreal to win this game because it's back in Montreal. Even though they're denying, even though their request to have more fans added got denied, I do think they'll show up. The few fans that are in there will make it loud. The fans outside will make it loud. And we just have to find a way to win to avoid the 3-0 hole. I think they can do it. And they're gonna actually going to have to do what I think in my mind. Nick Suzuki, Cole Caulfield, Shea Weber are all going to have to be really good in this game. Can't let them get on the power play a ton. And I'm picking the Canadians to do it. I never made an official prediction for this series as I was on vacation. But if I did, I was going to say the Canadians in seven. That's what I was telling my brother. I thought Canadians in seven. Right now, I am very weary of that prediction. It's looking like the Lightning's in four or five, at least to me. But I want to see how the Canadians respond tonight in this game at home to see if they can make it a series or if they're rolling out on their back. And the Lightning, $18 million over the cap with Kucherov back and Stamkos and others are just that much better. And then we might have to look up into some new NHL rules as to get some petitions going around there. Other NHL news was that National Predators wing Victor Arvidsson was traded to the Los Angeles Kings for two draft picks, a second-round pick this year and a next-year third-round pick. Had a $4 million cap. Arvidsson, I think, is great. This is a great trade for the Kings. Much better trade uh, because he scored 30 goals twice in his career. Was a top-line forward with Ryan Johansson and Philip Forsberg. With the Predators, last two seasons, you know, hasn't been too great. But then again... These have been different conditions for what teams have been used to playing. So I think get back to a regular schedule, regular time, and this will be great for the Kings to add a younger winger. He's only 28 and has been great. Uh, was part of a reason that the Predators made the Stanley Cup in 2017. And now the Kings get him, and you can kind of pair him Again, with that lineup, with Alex Iafalo and Adrian Kemp, I think this will be great. Arvidsson, even though he's younger, this LA Kings team is a lot younger than him and can add sort of a veteran presence where he's been 
to the Stanley Cup final before. So I think this is a great trade for the Kings. And obviously, I think it's an okay uh, compensation for the Predators getting those draft picks. And I think teams are going to be more creative now because with the Seattle Kraken draft, expansion draft coming later this year, only being able to protect, uh, I think, seven forwards, three defensemen, and one goalie. Teams are going to have to make decisions, and if there's a player that, you know, is on the verge of that seven, why not trade him, get compensation like draft picks to where you just don't lose that player to another team and just make it easier for yourself. So I get what Nashville's doing. They save money, they get draft picks, and they just don't lose him to... Seattle, so teams are going to have to get creative with this expansion draft, and I think it's good for them. And then the Arizona Coyotes have hired their new coach. Fire Rick Tockett, and they hire Andre Torigny, nicknamed the Bear, has been a junior hockey coach. Now, this is something that caught my eye because I was talking about this with my dad and he was telling me that there was, you know, a web developer management role for the Coyotes. And I thought to myself, you know, the Rangers have hired their coach and teams have hired coaches, but Coyotes still don't have a coach hired. They really need to hire a coach before they hire anyone else. And they did it. Hired Andre, and I don't think this is going to be a good hire, but then again, This job for the Arizona Coyotes is not a hot-ticket job. For some reason, this team is up against the cap, have taken dead deals, lost draft picks from the previous general manager, John Chaika, so they won't have a first round this year. So it's just a tough roll ahead for the Coyotes. It's not favorable when you don't have star players, star talent, Uh, fans coming into the building packed every night wanting to see your team. That's just not the case in Coyotes. Even though with the Suns, I think if the Coyotes were to do well, they definitely have fans to come to games and root there for them. But they just don't have the talent, don't have the results. And it's just tough sledding for the Coyotes. And Coyotes fans, when you hire someone with really no NHL experience to come to the coach, to come be the coach, Will he be the man or not? I don't think he will be the man. I think there's a lot that has to be fixed with this team, both on offense, both on defense. What will happen in their expansion draft? Who will they give away? Not having a draft pick, what will their general manager do? So there's a lot of things that have to get fixed on this roster. They have to find a bona fide center, two-way center, because Christian Dvorak cannot be your top dog on the center line. Phil Kessel is aging. Connor Garland is a great young piece. But he just doesn't have the skill set to be a great player. Clayton Keller is ascending, but he has to take another leap. So again, they have some talent on there, but they need more, a lot more, if they want to win games and get back to the playoffs. I don't see this coach 
doing it just another questionable decisions for the history of this very questionable organization. Now, I'm going to give you my top five teams in Major League Baseball. Number five, the San Diego Padres. Why? Well, they're eight and two in their past ten games, eight wins, two losses before last night. They were nine and one. They've been playing brilliant. Uh, Drew Pomeranz is their closer. Their starting pitching has been just fine. Defensively, they're really sound. But on offense, as I said, they have run as far as Tatis will run. And Tatis is rolling with homers right now. Cronenworth is playing really good as well. So his team is clicking, staying competitive in a very tough NL West and NFL and just NL West or NL uh, League in general. Number four, the Houston Astros. Why? Well, their lineup is hitting great everybody. From Michael Brantley to Jose Altuve to Alex Bregman to Carlos Correa to Jake Straw. They're all playing really good. Hitting numbers are great. Best run differential by far still in baseball. They've scored the most runs or they score a lot of runs. And they're just getting it done. And they're looking like a threat to contend again even after cheating scandals. Even when they're not cheating, they're still winning. Number three, the Boston Red Sox. Why? Well, they just swept the Yankees. Adding on to that, they've won seven games in a row. Again, they score a lot of runs, and in part of their 10-game stretch where they've won seven wins in a row, they've won eight out of ten. So this Boston Red Sox is heating up with the Tampa Bay Rays, faltering a bit since they've lost Tyler Glass now. Boston Red Sox are back, and Chris Sale says his return will be the icing on the cake. Number two, the Los Angeles Dodgers. Why? Well, they're on to six consecutive wins, and they score a lot of runs, have dealt with a lot of injuries, to me the most injuries of any baseball team, but since they are so loaded with depth and stars, it has unaffected them and are right there in the thick of it, for the NL West and best team in baseball. But they're not the best team in baseball yet. They are still number two to the number one San Francisco Giants. Why? Because their bullpen is good defensively. Their sound. But one thing I should say is they do have to get better against the Dodgers. Because the Dodgers have been giving it to them this series, this season. But we're halfway done with the season already for baseball. And Giants are still the number one team midway through. They've surprised me and they've stuck through it all the way. When they started off hot, they're still number one. Still getting it done. With great pitching. Great defense. And getting quality runs when needed. That's why they're my number one team. There you have my top five teams in baseball. The San Diego Padres, the Houston Astros, the Boston Red Sox, Los Angeles Dodgers, and the San Francisco Giants. And tonight starts the Subway Series 
between the New York Mets and the New York Yankees. The Yankees are reeling four and six in their passing games. They've lost nine in a row in epic ninth inning collapse by Chat by Aroldis Chapman. He's not been the closer he was to start this season. He's been shaky. Hal Steinbrenner, the owner, says that he is not like his dad, George Steinbrenner, and doesn't act on impulse. And also says that the players take majority of the blame since they're getting paid the big bucks. They have to figure it out. Well, I kind of agree with what you said, Hal. You're definitely not like your father, George, because George went through 21 managers during his 40 years with the team, and one of them stayed around 11 years. So you take that, that's really 20 managers in 30 years. Uh, Championships are what expected. Hal knows that, and he's not delivering. He knows the fan base keeps on losing, and they've said their piece. They've had enough of Aaron Boone, Cashman, and now Hal, but Hal says he still has confidence in, in uh, Cashman and Boone, not going to make any big moves unless trying to add a player if they feel like it's necessary. And I guess if the players have to take majority of the blame when you have Stanton making a ton of money, players are going to be up for contracts to make more money. They're paying a high tax bill as well. This team is. Their stars are not performing at all. Very inconsistent from top to bottom. I don't think Aaron Boone knows how to manage. I've gone off on him plenty of times in my previous podcast because he is just not the man for the job. He just isn't. He's not a good manager. And to me, he should be fired. He'd be one that, if George was uh, still around, would act on the impulse and get rid of him. And I think the Yankees would be better off for it. But we'll see if the Yankees do it since they're nine games back. I don't expect them to do anything crazy in the second half if they miss the playoffs, especially with this division finishing what right now would be fourth, second to last. I don't think they'll be eclipsed by the Baltimore Orioles, but finishing second to last definitely is not a good thing for Yankees or Yankees fans. And one other thing I don't like about baseball is now these checkups that the umpires do with the new illegal substance rule in place. It, to me, it's just not a good rule where people are getting uh, checked and what are the illegal substances, why. I mean, I get some of them, but some of the ones are also protecting the players as well. You should be wanting protecting the pitchers. Uh, so I still think there still needs to be a lot to flesh out. I don't think Gary or uh, Rob Banford did a lot of thinking going into this, but then again, I don't think a lot of any commissioners really think about what they do. Other related sports news as well. Sharina Williams was injured in her first round of a Wimbledon. Major blow to her reaching Margaret Court at 24. It looks like she's just destined to be at 23 forever, which sucks because it looked like a really good chance to win this. So now I think Roger Federer is the one I'm polling for. He needs to win since he's tied with Rafa Nadal. 
at 20. Novak Djokovic is right there at 19, already winning two this year. People talking about Novak is the GOAT of tennis. I can't have that. Federer needs to put that to rest, cap it with his GOAT claim right now. And now for my next podcast, I'm just going to have to do a deep dive, whoever wins this, on why Federer is the GOAT of tennis. So that will be coming up next. What else happened? Spain beat Switzerland. Then penalties, very entertaining match with an own goal, but Spain prevailed in penalties, whereas Switzerland just won in penalties against France, but they only could muster one goal in the four chances that they had. Then Italy beat Belgium. Very surprising as Belgium was labeled one of the best teams in this tournament, but outlasted by Italy. So now you have Spain and Italy in the semifinals. Will there be an upset brewing for Brazil? I think it is very possible that Chile could beat Brazil tonight. And then one final thought is Phil Mickelson says he will not play in Detroit ever again right now. He is playing in the Rocket Mortgage Classic in golf, but he says he will not be attending this event again after a newspaper report from which attained federal court records about 5007 allegedly cheated Mickelson out of $500,000. This is something that happened 15 years ago. So yeah, he just said he likes Detroit, but with the lack of uh, appreciation, this is something that actually happened 20 years ago when the trial actually took place 15 years ago. Uh, they just wanted to embarrass Phil, so that's sad that people do that and just are still digging up old stuff about people that things have been settled for and you want to then keep on exposing people for it. But then you have the match coming up soon, Mickelson and Brady, uh, going against DeChambeau and Rogers, which will be very exciting. I will get into that in my next podcast and break down who I think has the advantage for that as well. So there you have it, folks. Everybody enjoy your 4th of July weekend, and I will talk to you all soon. Bye, everybody.